0: Welcome to my podcast, Big Lessons from a Small Island. I am Sophia Robinson, and I'm an author, a blogger, and a coach. I write about life lessons, my experiences, and my philosophy on life, sprinkled with fun, humor, and big love from a small island. My mission is to inspire you to embrace every part of your story and to try something new. Welcome back to my podcast, Big Lessons from a Small Island. you haven't already done so I would love it if you could go and leave a rating and a review as well as hit subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode of this first season. Today we have for you another bonus lesson and this is one that I wrote almost a year ago in May which is mental health month. It's a pretty candid piece about my own journey and I hope that you hear something in it for yourself. In addition, I also have a special offer for you at the end, so stick around for that. Three ways I manage my mental health. May is almost at an end. There's a part of me that cannot believe the speed at which this year is flying by. As you may be aware, May is mental health month. I had planned all month of writing a blog post about my personal journey with mental health. However, the month has flown by and I'm only now sitting down to write it oh well, better late than never. A part of the reason that I wanted to write this post is because I have had my own journey with managing my mental health. There have been times when it was less than ideal and I needed a top up, and there have been times when I was honestly having an outright crisis. This can be such a taboo topic, but the truth is that all of us want to have good health, and that includes our mental health. It often seems perfectly acceptable to talk about our physical health and the steps we are taking to make improvements, such as nutrition, exercise, rest, water, etc. However, I know many people feel uncomfortable speaking about the steps we take to improve our mental health. The irony is that in many cases, these steps can be similar. I am concerned that the longer it remains taboo, the harder it will be for people to tackle when they need to improve their mental health and well-being. There are two factors I will talk about today which have played into my own mental health journey. However, before I talk about the experiences themselves, I want to tell you a bit about what my struggles actually looked like. I have experienced situational depression, which has happened when I've lost loved ones and when I've had difficult experiences. One example of this was when I fractured my ankle and I really struggled with losing my independence and relying on people for everything from simple supermarket trips to taking a shower. It was a real low point for me, but I also had longer term struggles with depression and anxiety around work, around relationships, and around life in general. Several years ago, I was diagnosed with clinical depression and I really spent some time dealing with that. Even that is something that I never really told anyone about and just kept it hidden as best as I could. During these times, I felt sad sometimes. But for me, a big part of how it showed up for me was the loss of motivation. I could not be bothered to make an effort around the house, I stopped cooking, and my diet consisted of mainly cereal. I could make myself go to work, but it was hard to find the motivation to do anything else. I was exhausted. And the irony was that I had lost the motivation to do the very things that might have improved how I was feeling, such as eating healthier, exercising, and staying connected with those close to me. For me, what made this so difficult was that I knew those things would improve how I was feeling, but I could not bring myself to do them, and I spiraled. Later in this post, I will mention what helped me get out of the worst times, and what also helps me keep on track now. But for now I'm going to talk to you about the two factors which affect my own mental health. The first one is career. Many people who know me personally know that I am actually a dentist. As a student early on in my course I learned that dentists had the highest rate of suicide as a profession at the time. I know that currently this statistic may vary from country to country but in all cases it is still pretty high up on the list. In fact, I remember writing a psychology essay about dentistry and mental health and relating to this statistic. There has been so much speculation about why this is the case and dentists are susceptible to poor mental health. Perhaps it's the personality predisposition or the fact that people spend all day telling you that they hate you. Perhaps it's the physical strain or increased levels of stress. It is hard to determine causes when looking at statistics like this. But the one thing I felt that they were making clear to me in that class was that I needed to place high importance on caring for my own mental health, especially in my chosen profession. And this is a lesson that I'm still learning up to this day. The second experience I had more recently within the last few years when I got diagnosed with an underactive thyroid. This is a condition that can predispose to depression if undiagnosed or not managed well. How I actually became aware of it was that I went through a period of feeling very depressed, exhausted, and unmotivated. And when I went to my doctor about it, she sent me for a series of tests where this was diagnosed. I have a fantastic doctor, and she was able to refer me to other professionals to have the imbalance corrected, but she also recommended that I see a therapist, something which I found incredibly useful. These experiences, along with others, have taught me the importance of looking after my mental health. There are many scenarios which can affect our mental health on a short-term or a long-term basis. As I said before, sometimes I like to think of my personal mental health the way I think of my physical health. There are times when I don't feel 100% and I can take steps to improve it. And there are times when it is a more chronic problem that may require more aggressive change or intervention. For me, I have found three steps that allowed me to better manage it at both of those times, even in the face of the factors mentioned above. Number one, I have a good team. This is number one on my list, and I cannot overstate the role it has played in my mental health. For me, this looks like a team of professionals which I trust and in a space where I feel safe to be vulnerable. Over the years, this has included my GP and other specialists, as well as therapists and coaches. This has also included my wonderful friends and family support. Having a good team has been invaluable to me. Having trusted people around me has always been amazing. At those times, when I start to go downhill, they can call me out and rally around me. Number two, I know my triggers. I also know that there are a number of things that can affect my mental health. When I lived in the UK, one of the big ones was the short days in the winter. Being an island girl, I struggled to get used to the lack of sunlight, and I did not want to sit in my apartment under a daylight lamp. So I started going for walks at lunchtime, rain or shine, even in the winter. And I found that made a huge difference. Other triggers for me, overwork and overstress. I have started doing something I call automating self-care. Having observed my patterns at work carefully, I know that I do better with more frequent breaks. And so at the beginning of the year, I book a week off each quarter. And I don't wait until I get washed out and exhausted to look for time off, because then I have to wait several more weeks. Overstress comes when I don't include enough activities in my life that are fun and meaningful if I don't include enough gratitude, if I don't laugh enough, and conversely, managing my health when I get triggered looks like laughing, like watching the sunset, like serving my community, like knowing when to call in my support system. Self-reflection and knowing my triggers means that I can interrupt the pattern before I spiral into a full-on depression. Number three, I write. You must have known that I would include this somewhere. A part of writing for my mental health is the fact that it's really enjoyable for me. And I really find that learning about what I enjoy and doing more of that has definitely contributed to good mental health. But also, there is a lot of research into the benefits of writing on both our mental and physical well-being. And I did write a bit more on that. You can check it out on my blog, www.39accounting.com. Different types of writing can reveal where we can reframe our thoughts, and it can allow us to express our feelings without judgment and it can give us enough distance from our thoughts and feelings so that we can reconcile them. So writing is a great exercise for improving our well-being, and it's been a wonderful tool that I have used on my journey. Looking after our mental health is so important and I hope that by sharing my own experience, you feel inspired to take a step today to improve your own mental health. I would love you to comment below and tell me what works for you. And if you want to take your writing even further and you feel that you have a book inside of you or you want to write a blog, then you should definitely consider joining my Write Your Way live course. This is for writers at heart. This is for those who believe that there's a book inside of them and you want to bring it out into the world. If you want to increase your visibility through writing, get more readers and speak to your audience in a way that captures their attention, or if you want to work on a novel or a memoir or even a book for your business, but you're worried that there's only one way to write and it isn't the way that feels good to you. And lastly, if you're ready to get these projects out of your head and onto paper or your laptop, then I think that my Write Your Way live course is just the thing for you. And that starts on the 20th of April. It's going to be one month of writing, coaching, and community as you get those ideas out of your head and begin to craft the stories that you've been dreaming about. Writing can feel like a solitary experience, and the thing that helped me to write multiple books and self-publish on Amazon and blog for the last few years has been a community of other writers, coaching from an experienced author, and building a habit of writing my way. And now I want to give that to you. Over the four weeks, you'll get two one-on-one coaching and strategy sessions to identify your writing style and map out a plan for your book or blog and a strategy for consistent writing. There will also be two 90-minute group coaching calls for teaching and support and a private Facebook community. And I will read up to 10,000 words of your manuscript or four blog posts and give detailed feedback up to one month after the course is finished. Once you're ready to put in the work, you could walk away with a strong writing habit, a partially written or even fully written, depending on the length of it and how fast you write, manuscripts or blog posts, and deeper connections with fellow writers. I'm keeping this group intimate, so there's six spaces, and I would love it if you could join me. If you're interested or you're ready to join me, just check out my page, www39 andcountingcom slash lifecourse. And if you want more information about it, then email me at 39andcountingblog at gmail.com. And if you just want to experience what writing more could do for you, then I really encourage you to just start writing. You will never regret it. And I send you big love from a small island.